What's up everyone, welcome to episode 69 of the Noise Podcast, brought to you by Noise.co.uk and sponsored by Stereo Brain Records. I am your host slash your boy, Chris Pugh, and I am joined, as ever, by my very good friend and Mr. Cynical himself, Samuel Lewis. Mate, how are you? Mate, I'm good, man. I was um, I was running through some random news articles to chuck into this week's episode, and I didn't even send this one to you in advance because I thought it was so stupid that I'd have to just like talk to you about it off the spot. Um, I was going to read what I put here. Um, uh, the Daily Star, uh, a piece of the Daily Star, said that heavy metal makes us fat. Um, coincidentally, they ran a story last year about someone losing nine stand by dancing to their favourite metal song every day. But apparently, the science behind this is that heavy distorted music makes you search for equally hefty meals or, quote, bosher kebab. <laughs> the tabloid news strikes again. Just absolutely unbelievable. Can you imagine if all deathcore bands were just like obese people just sort of wheeling around? Because of the, the sort of heavy riffs and all that sort of stuff, it's just it's quite absurd. Dude, I love it. It's like my opinion and respect for tabloid news. Like, couldn't be any lower anyway. But articles like that, honestly, it's amazing. I love it. Like, someone has sat there that has gone through editorial. They've thought about it. I mean, I'd love to know like who they contacted for this science. Um, if and if they did, if they even bothered, or whether it's just some random person typing their nonsense thoughts, I just one man who runs amazing. a kebab shop and listens to yeah. Metallica or something like that. That's the base of the whole. Dude, I love it. I, I don't think there's anything, anything better than that. Apart from us, we're better than that. Uh, we are a fortnightly rock and metal podcast available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Basically, wherever you get your podcasts, we will be there. Uh, the best way to support us is by subscribing or following, depending on whichever service you are using. Uh, this week, we've got some news to run through that is actually serious, as opposed to that joke I just put in there. Uh, we take a look at the upcoming of Mice and Men EP Bloom and the new Svalbard's vocalist slash guitarist Serena Cherry's black metal side project, Noctuals Wretched Abyss. Uh, plus, in a really, really awesome moment for the Noise podcast, we interviewed Rise Against Basis, Joe Principe, that is both me and Sam did that interview. And Sam, I will not speak for you. How great was it? Oh, it was superb. It was superb. Um, He's awesome, isn't he? I think he might have been our, my favourite guest we've we've had as as a as a, as a duo, just in terms of the, the 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 interview, the depth of responses that he got, how invested and passionate he clearly was. Um, he didn't have to do this for us, and no. we were clearly one of many people he was speaking to over the over the course of a few hours or a few days with press availability. And he spoke to us like we were Rolling Stone, and I, I couldn't appreciate that more for the the depth. An effort he clearly put into the interview it was wonderful and his backdrop was pretty awesome as well wasn't he that guitar collection he's got hanging up such a flex yeah it was such a flex <laughs> I he, loved didn't even, it. he didn't even he didn't even mention it absolutely it. didn't even mention it um fair play to him fair play to him prop uh wonderfully intelligent and insightful interview on a whole host of stuff really nice insight into rise against and that seemed a very self-conscious band and where they are and what they're doing within the genre and where the genre's moving forward all that good shit like it was wonderful for us it was great to have him I should mention that next Tuesday, uh, our review of the new Rise Against album, Nowhere Generation, is going to be live. We were originally going to include that in this episode as well. However, uh, that album is under an embargo that we can't release a review until the 31st of May. Uh, so, um, you know, not next month, next Tuesday. I'll release that next Monday. Me and Sam are going to record that episode next week and I'll release it uh, next Monday. So you can look forward to that. Uh, before we get kicking on with the news, remember to follow us on Twitter at Noise Podcast. Both me and Sam run that account. You will see our random nonsense and muslings of things that we like and random memes that I make when I'm bored and I've got five minutes spare at home. Uh, Sam, let's kick off with the news. 
Iron Maiden didn't make it into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Sam. And Gene Simmons called it disgusting. Uh, who did make it in, Sam? I will tell you. Tina Turner, <laughs> t the Foo Fighters, Jay-Z, Todd Rundgren, uh, the Go-Go's, and Carol King. Dude, I, I, I've heard of these names get branded better, apart from the Go-Go's. So like, I was like, oh, I've got to listen to these. So I kind of searched them up on YouTube. Are you familiar with anything they've done? Not at all. Like... They're, they're like a female kind of... They're like a female 80s band that I suppose you could call rock and roll because they've got a bass guitar. Like, it, seriously, it's like incredible that they have made it into this Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Or is it? Because we're about to go into a bit more detail here, Sam. Um, the president of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame had an interview with a radio station called WBAB in America uh, about Iron Maiden's, Iron Maiden's exclusion from the, the uh, list this year. He said, There's no doubt that Maiden are an impactful, influential band, and that's why they were nominated this year, along with 15 other artists and acts. So we're not questioning, are they an important band, or are they impactful and influential? He went on to mention, Sam, that 80% of nominees eventually make it in anyway. Can I just make a caveat here? So what's the point? What's the point of it? If 8 out, if, if eight out of 10 people make it in, why are we doing this? It's, it's a ridiculous process, isn't it? Yeah. Process. The bar is just getting steadily lower and changing every time. It just seems strange. He did go on. Everybody has their favourites, everybody has different artists that impacted them or impacted other artists. So, if you look at this list, you can make that case for all of these folks, just like people made that case for Iron Maiden. Now, the most interesting part of this, Sam, is where uh, the radio station put to him something that you put on the podcast when we were originally discussing the nominees list for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year. should also mention that Rage Against, Rage Against the Machine didn't make it in this year either. Um, you were saying that why don't they just call it the Music Hall of Fame then? Because let's be honest, it gets further and further away from what rock and roll is every single year. So let's just call it the Music Hall of Fame. To which he responded, Greg Harris. I think people need to expand their thinking of rock and roll. It's a big tent. Rock and roll was never just four skinny guys with long hair and guitars. It's always been diverse. We take that interpretation that these are all variants of rock and roll. And I think underneath it, it frequently gets to the hip-hop question because some people are not fans. Well, the fact of the matter is that ship has, has sailed. We've inducted quite a few artists in that canon. It's a big tent and everybody fits under it. It's an attitude. It's a spirit. And that's rock and roll. Sam, I, I really disagree with. I really disagree with this. I think it's absolute nonsense. Um, his argument to, well, we can't talk about hip hop artists being in there because we've already done it. So fuck off and leave us alone. It, I just don't see it as like an appropriate counter argument at all. Um, it just it just seems really sort of redundant. I, I can accept the spirit of rock and roll argument, kind of. I can see that it's you know it's an attitude and people that are represent rebellion and, and that sort of stuff but when he says uh rock and roll was never for skinny white guys with guitars well there was like 20 to 30 years where that's exactly what it was um yeah. but sure um i just it seems like a really liberal way of this president electing bands that are on his ipod it that's what it just feels like to me um because if you if you talk if your argument for not having Iron Maiden in is that, well, we, we have a wide range and we include lots of bands from different genres, fine. But when it's the rock band slot, why did Foo Fighters get in first? 
Um, to, to be honest, I, I, I'm not sure. I've got to be honest here. I think you, that you have to vote. I think like I don't really pay attention to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because of how much nonsense I find it. I think they have to get voted in. I'm not sure whether they're actually selected by a committee. Who has a vote for that? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I I just you know what? I'm going to quickly look it up. I'm going to you know I'm going to I don't think I've done this on the podcast before. I'm going to quickly look it up. Why uh, why, why not? Let's 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 figure this out right now. How to get work. inducted into Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Yeah, maybe we have a chance. Yeah! <laughs> well, we're definitely more rock and roll than the go-go's. Uh, right, let's have a look. Uh, rock and roll Hall of Fame. Um, musicians become... Ab- well, okay, so a quick thing here. Musicians become eligible for induction to rock and roll Hall of Fame 25 years after they release their first recording. And now she's nominated committee made with rock... Oh, right, okay. Um, right, so I'm not going to spend like five, ten minutes... L- right, okay, so... Oh. Okay, I think I've kind of figured this out, and and if you're listening to this, this is not like a guarantee because I'm doing this very quickly from what I can see from Google. It looks like you can cast your fan vote for induction, and then um, they get they get selected by a committee. It appears. Right. Okay. Let's have a look. Um, I think that's what it is. Um, I mean, either way, it's complete nonsense. Um, yes. Yeah, so. What does that mean? That Foo Fighters were inducted then, 25 years after the first release, after like the first year of eligibility, they're just like, we must have Foo Fighters in. Oh, no, sorry, dude. I need to go back on what I've said. Literally, I'm on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame website here, and it says, Thank you for voting. The 2021 fan induction vote is now closed. Here are the final standing for the fans' ballot. And, dude, it literally gives like a list of of artists that have been voted for and it gives like a kind of bar of popularity and Tina Turner is absolutely like number one uh, and then Fela Kuti uh, is number two although I don't remember seeing that name in the list of the inductees this year uh, the Go-Go's okay. is there Iron Maiden is there Foo Fighters is there um, what it looks like okay yeah what it looks like is that you, you, the fan, like, you, we, we go on, and as a fan, we kind of register for a hot, hall, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame account, and then we, we vote for who we think should be in. They kind of curate that into a list, and they then make their decision from there, it looks like. Um, so Tina Turner made 10,000 accounts, is that what you're telling me? <laughs> there's, there's every chance. Um, so, yeah, it looks like... Inductees will be announced in May 2021. Like a whole fan type of this year. You see that? Um, right, yeah, by the looks of it. Um, right, this maybe this poem paragraph will tell us here and then we will just... I'll stop from here. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame offers fans the opportunity to participate in the induction process, selection process with a fan vote. Today through to the 7th of May, fans can vote every day at rockhall.com. The top five artists as selected by the public will comprise a, quote, fans ballot that will be tallied along with the other ballots to select the 2021 inductees. Right, okay. And it says nominee ballots are sent to an invitational international voting body of more than 1,000 artists, historians and members of the music industry. Factors such as an artist's musical influence on other artists, length and depth of career and the body of work, innovation and superior in style and technique are taken into consideration. Right, now it makes sense. So, 
um, you go and you vote for who you think should be in the, in the induction selection process with your, quote, fan vote. Uh, and then it gets sent to this voting body of more than 1,000 artists, historians, and members of the music industry. And they all then decide who should actually be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So there it is. Uh, we figured it out. Um, and Sam, even after figuring it out, I, 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 this still is ridiculous to me. <laughs> that doesn't figuring it out hasn't made me think. Oh, I'll take everything back that I said nasty about this. I still think it's ridiculous. Yeah, the, the committee have been like are getting all these votes in, and then they've just been like yes, yes, no, no, yes, yes, and then they're just sort of picking the ones that they choose out of that available sort of bag. Um, I, I'm with I'm with you that it feels like defending Iron Maiden's right to be in the Hall of Fame is by extension admitting that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame matters, which it absolutely doesn't. <laughs> Um, but um, it, if if we are using it as a real barometer, like if we live in that hypothetical world where Rock and Roll Hall of Fame actually, you know, is, is impactful, and we're using it as a barometer of recognition and success and all that sort of stuff, then it is mental that the girl goes are in and I made it or not. Yeah, it just is. If that's the way that it is, um, and I am far be it for me to agree with Gene Simmons on anything. Um, but he is he's right in this yeah. case. It is it is to quote him disgusting. Um that if you just draw a comparison between what is more impactful in the world of rock and roll, even if you wanna widen the tent to the fucking size of Antarctica as far as I'm concerned, Iron Maiden is still a much more impactful rock and roll contributor than nine tenths of the ones that have inducted in the last four or five years. I mean, I'm not going through the list again because it's just going to make me incredibly, incredibly <laughs> angry. Yeah. But it, there's like, it got to the mid 90s and there was like a complete drop off where we just started pressing shuffle and just in, 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 in incorporating whoever we wanted. So, Maiden have got to get in at some point. The Rage Against the Machine on there, in there, are also, is also utterly ridiculous. So, but, but yeah, like, like I've said, doesn't really matter. Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons appear to be upset about it. Fine, that feels like old man yells at Cloud to me. Um, but other than that, that's why it is. Uh, Sam, this isn't really like a news story that we can talk about, but I figured it would put a smile back on your face after the two absolute barrages of ridiculousness I've thrown at you uh, in the first two segments of the Noise podcast. Um, after the burial or in the studio, we will put knee again, Sam. Uh, they uploaded a picture on their Instagram. Oh, that's that's wonderful news. So, see, there we go. There's that smile I was waiting for. Uh, so, basically, dude, uh, 2022, new after the burial, um, obviously will be the follow-up to 2019's Evergreen, which made it fourth on your album of the year list, if I remember correctly. Jesus, if that's right, fair play, because I am going to scooby. Yeah, top I, five. I think, it, I think it was fourth. I mean, you love yourself some after the burial. I love myself some after the burial, man. Yeah, um, top five band that I've found in the last five years. Absolutely. Unreal, man. Uh, we are going to move on. Um, here's, this one was interesting to me, Sam. Uh, Rings of Saturn are going instrumental. Uh, the Deathcore band announced this in a statement. Rings of Saturn is transitioning towards a strictly instrumental direction which will open up many new doors in terms of musical creativity for the band's future. 
We are looking forward. And close, several others. <laughs> I knew you'd jump in. Uh, we are looking forward to exploring new territories of writing and expand on the band's overall sound in this way. Along with the recent instrumental album release versions of our past discography, every album since Dingier has traditionally included an instrumental track. So many fans will appreciate what's coming next with a sense of familiarity. We would love to have Ian Bearer on any tours we currently have booked, but that decision remains ultimately up to him. And moving forward, this also means that live shows will be done completely as an instrumental band. We would like to thank Ian Bearer for his years of hard work and commitment as the voice of the band during its most recent 10 years. On tour, on tour and in the studio, it has been an honour to create and perform music alongside such a great vocalist. We absolutely wish him the best in any endeavour he decides to pursue. And we hope that fans show him the same love and support as well. Uh, in case, obviously, that wasn't made obvious, um, Ian Barrow is the vocalist of uh, Rings of Saturn and he has left the band. Now, Sam, uh, this is usually something I wouldn't really bring up because if you're a big Rings of Saturn fan, you'll know this already. And if you're not a big Rings of Saturn fan, you'll think, why have I just spent five minutes listening to a podcast talk about this? However, um, this is interesting to me because only last month, Sam, were Rings of Saturn dropped by Nuclear Blast uh, after um, guitarist Lucas Mann, quote, brazenly threatened to issue public statements condemning Nuclear Blast in the strongest terms possible if the label does not give in to his baseless demands. Now, that was a statement that Nuclear Blast actually put out about Lucas Mann. Um, so, in, I mean, dude... Are you are you big on Rings of Saturn? I, I don't think we've ever really spoken about them. No, I'm not. Yeah, no, I, I think they're a bit. I think they're a bit pretentious and difficult and relatively indecipherable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the uh, DJ of our local uh, metal club absolutely like adores them, um, and I think that Rings of Saturn are one of those bands that like. I mean, indisputably, the guitar work is is impressive and stuff, but. They, they get referred to as quote alien core, and I think that just immediately puts me off because of that's not that's not a real genre. Well, no, it's not. It's, like I say, that's that's exactly not. why it puts. That's exactly why I immediately like kind of eye roll at it because it's like you are putting yourself, you're making yourself so obtuse that it, it just set it immediately comes across as a gimmick, doesn't it? I mean, alien core. I mean, please. So like, I mean, and to be fair. I, I, I'm saying that I don't think they've ever actually like referred to themselves as Alien Core, but their fans kind of build them as that to make them seem like they're this like supernatural being of a band. Um, I, I, I just that just kind of really makes me like turn away. It's just it's just so pretentious. Um, but dude, this has been a very strange last four weeks uh, for Rings of Saturn, dropped by. The label after the, the guitarist has apparently threatened to release sensitive information if the label doesn't do what he wants them to do, and now they're turning the instrumental. Do what's going on? I, I don't really know. <laughs> yeah, I no. it's, but it's the I wanted to give a shout out to Rings of Saturn. This is the first time in metal history that I can remember where a vocalist has left and the band's like, cool. <laughs> like, yeah, we will just not have one then. Um, it's just absurd to me, and there's no parallel for it at all in any other remote, any other world at all. Um, and that kind of tells you a little bit about what Rings of Saturn are about, which is being different to the point of almost obnoxiousness, to the sense that they're just so far away deliberately from what um, what they want to be perceived as. I mean, this issue with uh, this issue with Nuclear Blast, I'd like to know what these baseless demands were. That's that's really, really interesting. I'd like to do a deep dive onto that new story. Um, but in general, in general, I 
they're repeating the same shit. Oh, I can't really, really say that it's going to make a great deal of difference to their trajectory, other than, other than the lack of vocals. They're so they're so instrument dependent anyway. Yeah. That that this. I mean, was he really a vocalist or just like someone who was shouting in between guitar solos? Because that's kind of what it was. Um, so, it, I'm not too sure it actually changes much for them long term, um, or short term, or in any term. Um, at all, maybe that can maybe they can hire an extraterrestrial to to leave vocal for them every once in a while, and that would suit their fans' weird image for them. But other than that, good for them. I hope it works. Um, an instrumental, uh, an instrumental album in a genre that literally doesn't exist is only going to appeal to a certain amount of people. But that's clearly what they're they're trying to do anyway. So. Yeah, I mean, they are. I mean, you know, at at its core, they are a deathcore band, um, and that I mean. The musicianship is undeniably impressive, and I believe their last record was called Giddin, uh, and I enjoyed it. It's it, you know, it's absolutely not a bad album. They're absolutely not a bad band. It's just uh, their kind of obsession with being as obtuse as physically possible just kind of makes me feel like it's a bit of a gimmick, and uh, I, I struggle to take it seriously. But now with them being instrumental, I think, like you said. It's very, very unusual, and we've never seen anything like it before. So now, I'm kind of like really interested to see where it goes from here. With no label, and now they're an instrumental band. Um, oddly, Sam, it's the most interested I've been in, in Rings of Saturn ever. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I am. I am absolutely interested to see how the next how the next album sounds, what it's called, and 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 whether it whether it works. I. I think it's going to be fine. I think they're going to write a they're going to write a prog alien themed deathcore album, aren't they? And it's going to have like voiceovers and mad shit like that. So uh, that's what's going to that's what it's going to be, and and that's that's fine. That's the universe yeah. they want to live in. Good for them. I hope it works out for them. Uh, Sam, let us move on to reviews. We're going to start with a mice of men with of mice of men's new EP Bloom. He's out May twenty eighth via Sharp Time Records. My God, I love Sharp Time so much. Uh, it's the second in a trio of EPs the band planned to drop this year, and the follow up to twenty to February's Timeless, which me and you, Sam, very much enjoyed, didn't we? We did indeed. Really good timers, really good EP. Uh, I almost feel, Sam, like of Mice and Men can't really lose with his trio of EPs. Um, because even if what we heard after Timers was disappointing, I think them chasing this new method of release is really interesting. And something that could quite possibly invigorate new ideas into alternative music. We spoke about this previously. You know, and bringing the horizon on, not going there in exactly the same route, but doing something similar in the sense of we just recorded seven great songs. Let's not wait till we do another five, right? Let's just release them as as like a we just did seven songs. Let's release them and just get them out there. Much like you know the SoundCloud rap generation, you know, the SoundCloud rapper records song that they like, they release on SoundCloud. It gets thousands of. Of listens and and they can just drop content all the time because then they haven't got to worry about distribution of album and uh, contacting labels and all the crazy crazy things that goes into the actual production and piecing together of a record of most of men and they're just like hey we're going to record like three songs that we like and then just release them uh, i love it sam i think it's like a really really cool idea yeah, I like it as well. I like it as, as an episodic version of what they're doing. It allows them to be able to say, you know, we've got these this vibe, this 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 
collection of three uh, three songs this trio here this is where we were at that time and then we're going to do it here the only um, drawback i have on it personally somewhat of a selfish one is that i wanted this to be an album because then i could say that it was one of the albums of the year because if you combined the last ep and this ep it would absolutely get album of the year consideration ah i love it okay so what we're saying bro are you in yeah this is terrific um this is the best stuff they've released since the departure of Charlie Austin for me. This, Austin this Carlyle. three song ep- Not the Southampton striker. <laughs> no, no, or the former Blackpool midfielder. Um, <laughs> but anyway, Austin Carlyle. I actually wrote Charlie Austin on my notes as well. I love it. There's no, I love there's it. no translation. I'm genuinely like, yeah, he's good at corners. <laughs> and I'll miss him. Uh, <laughs> This makes sense to me. Oh, I love it. I love my, it. Of my of my some man on. <laughs> oh, no, I'm cutting that out. No. No. No, that was terrible. Sorry, dude, you must go on, sorry. Anyway, um there's there's a real depths vibe to a couple of this, uh, especially yeah. on Levy. Um and I do think it's the best stuff they've had since Austin Carlisle went, and I think it's it's heavy, it's dirty, it's filthy. The opening track is fantastic. The the grim growl at the conclusion of this as they slow the breakdown and bring that back. I was like, oh, wow. I haven't heard, I haven't heard this version of of mice and men for it. What feels like you correct me if I'm wrong, a decade, maybe eight years. Um, it's, it, that sort of that sort of range in terms of like this straight heaviness and grit and grime. We haven't heard that version for 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 us for some time. I don't feel. Yeah, no, I, I do agree. There's a song called Mushroom Cloud on Earth and Sky, uh, which was similar in tonality to Levy, the opening track on Bloom. But in terms of Levy's actual constant punch, you are correct. Um, I, I, in my opinion, I agree. It's been a long time since you've heard such a sustained punch from Of Mice and Men in one song. And, uh, dude, you kind of mentioned it. Let's just talk about it, man. Mate, Aaron Paul, he, he's, like, he's like amazing. He's like, so good. Hey, the, the, the progression... From like three albums ago to now, like he was good anyway. Yeah. Remember when we were listening to like the first time they were on their own, and they were like, "Is this going to be a bit one track? Is this going to be? You know, there's a ceiling on what they can be because of their vocalist who's talented, but not, you know, hasn't got that sort of range. But man, he absolutely has that has that range. He's he's phenomenal, and that's really, really, really good for them. Um, and that has given them the opportunity because when we reviewed timeless off the, their last ep um it was softer than this but it was more metalcore it was more mm. traditional sort of big choruses and stuff and they were able to do that um and now we're getting this more traditional almost early metalcore um sort of vibe to it as well breakdown centered and they're able to just be as comfortable there if you, and like i said I, I i don't know how you would feel but if if you added these these last two EPs up and then say the next next three songs they do further on down the line are this good, and you have a nine song album, it's an al- it's an album of the year contender, isn't it? Surely. You know what, dude? You, you put an interesting point. Um, quite po- you know what, dude? Quite possibly, unless unless the next EP, the three songs just kind of fall off a cliff, which there's there's no evidence that's going to happen, given given Bloom and Timeless. I think I think if you put them together and just release them randomly, like in in a September, and we hadn't had them released sequentially, there's every chance that me and you'd be talking about it like, oh my god, this is, this is definitely going to be in our top ten. Specifically considering what we like, I mean, Sam, yeah, the the final breakdown on Levy, 
I think it's the heaviest of the band's career. It's got to be up there. Like, the 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 tone, the brutality, um, the the sludge of that final breakdown on Levy, it is, like, otherworldly. It's one of the... It's got to be one of the heaviest of the band's career, if not the. Like, it is. It is, like, <laughs> like skull-crushing. Yeah, I completely agree. It's it's reminiscent to their opening album, and how often can you how often can you say that about any band at this stage of their career where they're mm. going that far, that far back? Um, yeah, I, I completely I completely agree. But there's also some well depth here as well. Like Bloom, that the, the the title track, the next song opens melodically. Yeah, um, and they they immediately sort of get back to that. All right, this is what we're also capable of. What I like about Bloom is the groove. Yeah, yeah, man. It's got this open hi hat. It's got this nice lumbering, methodical type groove to it, sort of pacing along. It doesn't feel when you when you hear sort of breakdown verses at the moment. You in modern metal, so you get the impression that it's it's so tight and it's so mixed where that the the snare and the hi hat and the and the, the cymbals are so tightly wound to exactly what the notes are that it doesn't have this organic feeling that this one does. But here, I felt like it was a real can't quite explain it. It's, it's this real sort of, I don't know, like this real sort of chemistry and vibe that has come across very naturally as this is happening. And I loved, I just loved the feel of it. And I thought it again, it was another huge song. It was an absolutely huge song. Dude, you kind of mentioned it earlier. And, and I interviewed Aaron for Distorted Sound before Timeless came out. And he's told me that each EP would tell a different story and have a kind of different style within Metalcore. And when I might need to go back and listen to Timeless, but this certainly feels like the heavier of the two offerings, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, it does. Um, which would give me the impression that I think the final one is going to be like a melodic trio, yeah. Yeah. end of the album, maybe a piano track, you know, like something like completely removed, yeah. um, you know, an acoustic number. God knows they could do anything at this point because they have got the they have got the scope to do that. Listen to listen to all three of these tracks and pulling teeth. I mean, I, I <sighs> fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. It's bludgeoning. It's got all its consistent. It's, it's, it's as good as you would possibly want from music at this stage. Like I said, you, you used to talk about of mice and men being in a can't lose situation, and you are absolutely right because the way that their career has gone, we are in a situation where they're perfectly okay to release whatever they like and if it's good that's an absolutely fantastic thing yeah and if it's not we just say all right you went through a hardship have a, you had a great career you can tour every couple of years and just play the classics yeah that, that would be fine you're okay where you are sort of thing and you could kind of no disrespect you could kind of the devil wears prada thing you know and bring out and you know go start harking back and you know what i mean and do those tours again because you've got like devil wears prada and established five to ten year run and a big fan following, you could absolutely do that. You know what I mean? Of course, yeah. men are never going to go hungry. No. Um, but this, I think, um, this puts them in a this puts them in a good category again. This this thrusts them back into the new metalcore band conversation, which is weird to say because they are not a new metalcore band, but in mm. the, as currently constructed. They yeah. kind of are, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. This, this new episode, this new chapter of Mice and Men is is excited to think about and i think you can absolutely put these alongside a few of their more modern contemporaries mm. and and consider them i mean these would be great with architects on a big oh yeah oh yeah 
absolutely like, absolutely, like, absolutely would be these would be great yeah. parkway drive uh, they, they, they would fill a floor if you're if you've got off mice and men is your lead support and you're playing um you know you're playing a, a 10,000 seat arena like alexandra palace or rock city or something like that that is that is a big tour that that could be a sellout and i, and I think that they're positioning themselves to be considered for that again you mentioned pulling teeth, mate. I mean, mate, those opening guitar lines and kick drum fills. Mate, it's like a hardcore track. <laughs> um, massive cleans on the chorus. And for all three songs on this EP, the ending of all of them are, like, obnoxiously heavy. Like It's like these three tracks were all built around their closing breakdowns. And, mate, I am absolutely here for it. It's this just this nine-minute throat punch. Um, really, really great. Um, it's an EP that, after Timeless, we liked it so much. I thought, well, I mean, if that's the ceiling, that maybe they'll just be scraping underneath for a while. But no, no, I, th I think this is on level ground with Timeless, and I think that's because it's a different offering. It's a much heavier, more visceral, organic offering than Timeless, and and I really enjoyed Timeless. Of mice and men, I'm so happy for them that they've. It's so cool to see a band that you know we already know. You were mentioning they're past their peak. They're never going to be hitting top four on the Billboard 200 again. You know, I'd be willing to to bet my life on that. But you know what? They don't need to. That's they don't need to. Like they can live in the 1500 cap capacity venue for the rest of their career and live comfortable, great lives and keep releasing great metalcore music either in EP format every few every year or so or in album format every two years or so and I think that's great I'm so happy for them and now dude how much I am now like really pumped for EP3 like I'm really really excited for it completely agree I, I absolutely completely agree and, and to your point and it's not quite it's not always a nice men's point I mean is a metalcore band going to be top four in 2021 ever again <laughs> Is that is that Zenith of popularity ever going to repeat itself? That was a miracle of time and place and and pop culture, wasn't it? Do you know what I mean? That we are we we may never be back there. Um, but could have Mice and Men release a top fifteen album in in a few years off the back of the popularity that this brings after a big you know after a big yeah. support tour? Couldn't, couldn't rule it out. Um, I might have done and I might have done eight months ago. Yeah, I might have done before these two EPs. You know what I mean? Because I'm. When we saw them, it was like, oh, great, cool, of Mice and Men are good again. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, wait, cool, of Mice and Men are going to be great and I can't wait for the next five years. It was just like, it's just nice to have them back. They're going to survive. They can manage. Uh, but this, Aaron Pauly deserves a hell of a lot of credit. And so do the rest of the band. I mean, like, they've always been incredibly talented. Um, but I thought this version of, of Mice and Men was dead. Um, when you listen to the last album with Charlie... Uh, Austin Carlyle, not, not Charlie Austin. Austin Carlyle, and it was that weird sort of a cold world, which was awful. That new metal direction. Um, when they came back with Aaron Paul, I was Aaron Paulie. I was like, is this going to just be even a lighter version of that? Because that was yeah. with Austin Carlyle. So God knows what this is going to sound like. But they've actually gone back to their roots. They've actually gone back to this sort of metal direction. And shout to shout to bands because we talk about this all the time. And it's always worth mentioning. We will always celebrate trying to, to go beyond and push yourselves and, and all that sort of stuff, as you would in life. Bands, bands are no exception. But I also love bands being like, you know what we're really, really good at? We're really good at this. 
and this is who we are and this is what our fans like and this is what works so let's go back to that and I, I'm, I'm big on, I'm big on that just as much and this appears to be what they're doing absolute shout to Aaron Pauly man his performance in these last two of my so many EPs has been phenomenal Aaron Pauly um, really really become one of the great metalcore vocalists of our time Sam no doubt about it, and, and what a what a story where that's actually taken place. Yeah, he's actually becoming one of these, and um, because I, he absolutely is yeah. one of the leading voices of this um, this sort of generation of fans that he's part. Sam, we are going to close off the show before our interview with Joe Principe from Rise Against comes in with Nocturne, Wretched Abyss. It is out on May twenty eighth via Church Road Records. And it is Serena Cherry's black metal side project band. Serena Cherry is vocalist slash guitarist in Svalbard. Uh, their album, When I Die Will I Get Better, uh, featured in both of our 2020 Album of the Year lists. Uh, it came number two in mine. I'm still insanely, insanely in love with that album. This is a really cool side, side project for her because it's not just a black album, black metal album, sorry. It's a black metal album dedicated solely to Skyrim. Uh, the songs discuss certain storylines, weapons and dungeons in the game. Strange, Sam, that I'm such a huge gaming fan. Literally, there is a Bloodborne and God of War statue on my right-hand side and a Mario statue on my left-hand side. But I've never played Skyrim, which is weird. And like people always like, what? You, you like games, you never played Skyrim. Um, but for some reason, it's... They you know, really use that voice as well. Yeah, oh, yeah, they like, have a go at me about it. It's really weird. Um, but it's, it's one of those things that I've just never got around to playing. Uh, a little side note here. Um, there's a good chance I'm going to interview Serena uh, this Saturday coming, uh, which will be on a future episode of Noise Podcast that I'm really excited about. Um, but in a sense, Sam, I feel... Actually, are you massively familiar with Skyrim? I don't believe you are, but can we confirm before I say this next I, I, part? I played it once for like 20 minutes. Okay, so you're not. <laughs> in a sense, is that, Sam... Is that not 10% of it? God. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's I like ten... field. I woke up, I had amnesia, right? <laughs> I don't oh, think you're it's... up. I did all that. <laughs> I don't that's not point one percent of it. Um <laughs> In a sense, Sam, I feel the fact that neither of us are familiar with Skyrim is what makes us kind of like the ideal reviewers right. Because the nuance of the record is I know compl- about that theory. What, what, one second. The nuance of the record is completely lost on us, and we can just look objectively at the music right. Because I'm telling you now, Sam, if this was a record about Metal Gear Solid or Dark Souls or God of War or The Last of Us, I would find it much more difficult to be objective. Because I would, I would want, I would want to like it so much because it's about something that I love. Like, imagine if someone did like a black metal album about Bret Hart, dude. I would give it a ten out of ten immediately. Like, there's, what, there's, would that, what would that be called? I don't care, Sam. The sharpshooter. The sharpshooters of hell. Mate, I don't care, man. Like, I'd give it a 10 out of 10. It'd be my album of the decade. I'd love it so much. Um, so, like, the fact that like I'm not massive on Skyrim helps me be really objective about this record. Um, with that said, I think Serena Cherry is, like, an unbelievably gifted brilliant musician i'm a fan of literally everything that she's done and let me say this sam including this i think this is really really great even with the fact of its context goes completely over my head because i'm not familiar with skyrim uh, before we actually get into the delving of talking about the record um are, you, are, are we in sam yeah i think this is very impressive 
I think this is very impressive. Um, I'm also um, reassured that it, it progresses away, like Svalbard does, from what you traditionally call black metal tropes and traits. I don't think it's just a um, by-the-numbers black metal album. Oh, no, no. And it, and it features a real depth and melody and progression that I, we can't both um, affectionately appreciate on, on Svalbard's record. Um, it also features some little Svalbardy Easter eggs, I think, that mm. you can kind of tell. Like, there's like this occasional echoey guitar in like the background that if you really sort of listen, it can sort of float in and out. And I'm like, that that sounds like um, if I die, will I get better just to a T? Her vocals are never oh. at the forefront. Yeah, that's interesting, of, isn't it? Of, of, of the album. They're always like sort of part of the backdrop when the musicianship is, is pushed forward. And that was always something that was an interesting point. Uh, of Svalbard as well, where it is kind of she was she wasn't in front of she was kind of on the same level as, and it sort of added this whole sort of void scale cacophony of music that they were being, being presented with on that album. I also think this is much more accessible than your average black metal album. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, it's um, it's much more melodic. It's much easier to keep up with. Um, there are, and this is sound. This is a sound like I'm, I'm criticizing black metal. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, there are incredibly powerful black metal albums that are that are rightly considered some metal's greatest contributions. But black metal isn't known for like repeated memorable motifs, mm. and um, without without saying like we're talking about pop music, but anything that's like catchy, that is not something that's associated with black metal at all. Mm. Um, there are still moments of melody on black metal records, but they're usually like occasional accompaniments to the overall sound whereas this i think actually draws a bridge between some traditional black metal with the blast beats and the screaming and, the, and all that sort of stuff and the obviously the the, the the subject matter of course um but also some more traditional melodic metal tropes such as you know more melodic slow paced guitar lines over the top and, and real sort of melodic positive almost harmonies there's a, there's a couple of songs in a major key here i was like mm. what is this like it's really actually positive sounding songs um so i thought i thought this was really really very impressive um i think i i i, I like this and and, and as a, as far as side projects go um let's 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 rank them it's this it's a big drop off in its Miles Kennedy and Corey Taylor fight at the bottom of a barrel <laughs> isn't it yeah um, in yeah. terms of vocalists doing things on their own this is just on. He's won a. It's won a race, and he's lapping everything else we've reviewed for the last eighteen months. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's just that's just the end of it. So, for for a start, in terms of the expectations, we're talking about can't lose. She already released one of the albums of the year a year ago. Yeah. This could have been terrible. This wouldn't have affected our opinion, but thankfully, it's also not. Um, what I will say is that I think near the three quarter section of the album, I think a couple of the songs are very very similar to each other. And the style finds a blueprint, and that can get a little bit repetitive and samey by sort of like track seven, track eight. Well, at its peak, I think there was some really great. Well, I'll make sure that I've got some of these titles right because obviously sometimes a bit complex. Complex. Um, I just think I think the, the opening, uh, Elven Sword and Labyrinthian, um, has this nice melodic, slow classic metal camp, some real um, melancholy and depth. Evanar, which is really really nice. Oh, really Evanar. Evanar is awesome. Um, and I really enjoyed Death Bell Harvest. Those were the um, those are the, pro- the pros for me because of that. You know, give me a give me a deep, clean sound, and just sort of build it up every, every day of the week. And that's just a personal favourite of mine. So I think overall, 
musicianship is as expected if you're going to make a black metal album an extreme metal album you need to make sure your musicians are fantastic that's in no doubt here uh, the songs are well written and surprisingly i know it's the same again like i'm popular for the black metal i'm not but again it's not a polished genre typically no in terms of studio production it just isn't that is different here um it's it seems a more concisely written um album which i think is a positive here and i think overall for it, this to be essentially the side project of a person that wants to pay homage to a favourite game, and it's she's not, I don't know whether she's touring it or whatever, but at the very least, it's, it's just something she wanted to put out there. Maybe it was a pandemic project, who knows? But other than that, it's it's yeah, I think it's tremendous for that. And if you're a black metal fan, if you're a Svalbard fan, or if you're a fan of extreme metal, like yourself and myself, I think there's a lot to like about this, and there's something that you can find in here that is for you. Dude, imagine if Skyrim's your favourite game and Black Metal's your favourite genre. This is like the greatest thing that's ever happened to you. Honestly, yeah, it really, really is. Like and seriously, there's probably, there's probably a few people where that that Venn yeah. diagram does coalesce. Yeah. Because uh, really, if you're into that type of game and you like that type of music and that that cross pollination, there's got to be. I mean, there's got to be lots of people. The more that I think about it, that are into that type of that type of music and that type of cross pollination and. You know, it's it's really it's really ironically sad that the first gaming concept album ever is a game that you haven't played. <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah. I just I just think of all of all the possible concept albums we're going to base this off. I mean, this this is this is you, isn't it? You really yeah. need to play Skyrim now after after reviewing this. Wait till I tell Serena in the interview. Uh, I haven't played Skyrim, you're but I claim gonna, to be not, a massive you're not gamer. Gonna tell her. You're not gonna tell her. That no, because what if she really? asks? No, because what if she asks me something about it? like, what if she's like, so you remember it like forty percent in when this happens? And I'll be like, yeah. And what if she's tricking me? What if it didn't actually happen? <laughs> and well, she's saying to test me. Bit, she's coming into the interview and she's like trying to trying to mess with you, and she's like she's like giving you like names of dragons and like spells and cheats yeah. and stuff. And like, yeah, oh yeah, that like, one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is that the bit by the mountain? Yeah, yeah but then the whole game's by one. Yeah. yeah, you just. You're just sitting there describing the, the, the front cover off a Google image. Amazing. <laughs> um, dude, i tell you what, right. So I, I think this album is great uh, and it's incredibly unique and we have reviewed nothing like it so far this year. So it was like really refreshing for me. i tell you one of the things that really got me, Sammy, and it caught me when the title track started. Uh, so, dude, for me, like this was like an instrumental in the sense yeah. of, in the sense yeah, of, pretty much, yeah. we didn't get a lyric sheet, um, and the vocals are purposefully secondary on this record. Now that sounds like I'm taking a knock at Serena. Uh, let me be clear that she's an outstanding vocalist, and I think her performance on this record is great. However, they have purposefully put Serena as like an echo in yeah. this record. It's it kind of in like an emperor style. So they kind of lurk. So she kind of lurks in the background. Uh, you know, you were telling me the other week we were talking off air. You're talking about Dracula, and you're like, the idea of Dracula is so great because he, he's an everlasting presence that rarely comes to the forefront, but you always kind of know he's there, and that's that's yep. the that's the deal with Dracula. That's why it's so good, uh, and that's that's what this is, is it not? Like she's always kind of there as like a presence, but she she's rarely actually at the forefront. Um, but that's actually kind of not important because the musicianship of this album and the way that atmosphere is built, yeah, built the way that atmosphere is built is so, so great. Like, I, I think that the atmospheric black metal sound that runs through this record 
is really, really stunning. I mean, the most clear lyrics of the whole album is literally the opening ones on Elven Soul, where she shouts, die after die, at that kind of echoed scream. And from that point, you just kind of exploded into a really ethereal, atmospheric sound. And you don't really hear that much from her again. And if you haven't got a lyric sheet in front of you, which we didn't have, and you're not a massive Skyrim fan to be able to pick up on the little intricacies, you are basically going to treat this like an instrumental record. And dude, I do not like instrumental instrumental albums, but uh, this is great. You mentioned Labyrinthian. In terms of pure atmosphere, have we heard a more interesting album this year? In terms of like pure atmosphere base, I would be certain um... we haven't. No, well, and I've I just think... kind of dropped that, and I've kind of just dropped that on you, like Randy. I know. I think of a more atmospheric album we reviewed this year, like you'd be able to just remember off the top of your head all the albums we reviewed. But just in terms of like a quick thought, I just don't think we have. No, no. I think I think the only other album that comes to mind just first off the bat was Humanity's Last Breath, perhaps. Yeah, like yeah. Extreme, extreme metal atmospheric sort of selection, but even that's in a different world to this because it's like here's thirty seconds of atmosphere, and we're going to punch you in the throat for for three and a half minutes. Um, whereas this is it's, it's, a, it's a different sort of feel um, but again I did I, I, I like that this didn't feel too difficult to access this didn't feel like I was I had to sit down and really like work with it to understand it um, it was accessible but also atmospheric it was expansive but also easy to sort of swallow and, and consume um, it was it, it's a nice blend it doesn't feel like a, an extreme metal album no. Even though it has black um, black metal tropes and blast beats and, and, and screaming, it feels like what it is, which is like an expansive melodic tribute to um, to this to this game that is really very very similar aptly. You know, it's 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 large, it's expansive, it's epic. Yeah. And and that's and that that's that's mirrored by the music. Um, you might know because you're better you're better with names, but whoever the lead guitarist is. Um, doing, I believe it is Serena. Well, then she is. She is a a, a genius for the. I figured. I figured that she was because she was vocalist. I figured that she was doing the rhythm, and, and stuff like that underneath. But if she's if she's contributing to these main um main figures over the top of this stuff as well as what she's doing vocally, then that is that is just utterly superb. And it's a it's a it's a credit it's a credit to her and her and her skill. Um, but that this is this is really really impressive. And and like I said. Not a, not, a, not a particularly difficult race to win, but by far the best solo record we've reviewed maybe since Danny, even, but, well, no, it's the best solo record we might have ever <laughs> yeah, reviewed. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking about it. There isn't anywhere anywhere near in, in the same sort of category where I've actually gone away saying this isn't just good for something contributed to by this person that we like, but this is very good full stop. It's really enjoyable. Good for them. Do you know, uh, you mentioned that... Um album uh like band listing um and i i'm not we haven't been like from the promo that we received we haven't been like told who the actual band list is it's like nocturne always get referred to as the serena cherry side project uh, like black metal side project so i'm fairly confident that the guitar work is mostly hers but i can't absolutely guarantee that regardless she played lead guitar in Svalbard because that oh, would she mirror her own role wouldn't she yeah um, uh, you know what I think I think there is um, 
another guitarist with her in Svalbard. Now that I, now that I did that one thing where I looked up the answer while we were about rock and roll all the time. Now, I've, now I'm obsessed with it now, and now I can't stop. Let me quickly look up and see if Svalbard have got a an, a, a well, band. That season like... of the Office where 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 Michael's like the, the the first day I discovered YouTube. I didn't do anything for three weeks. <laughs> like I just want to see if there's um, a band like um, listing to see if. If I can prove myself wrong or right here, uh, which there is not. Um, so, okay, regardless, the guitar sounds are amazing. Um, and yeah, the, they are phenomenal. Whoever did them, shout to him or her or them or they. The one, two of Evanar and Deathbell Harvest. I mean, oh my god, Evanar has got this kind of. The clean electric guitar lines on that song are some kind of mix between classic rock and death metal. Like, there's a whole new tempo to that track compared to anything else on the album as well which I thought was really really amazing and this album is like and just like Svalbard it's instrumentation is really emotional like it's really big and scaping do you know what I mean yeah, I do. I do. It's it's expansive. It's film score esque. Yeah, Star yeah. Wars album was. Yeah, and Death Bell Harvest that is pieced together just in this unbelievable flow. It's opening verses really thump and dropping to like a, eventually dropping to like a guitar solo with this kind of ethereal angelic vocal running in the background. It's unique and just this whole album is just mystifying to listen to, and there's really like beautiful cleans that close the song out um, and this is just a really really like fascinating listen and that's why I'm so impressed by it because like I said if this was an album about God of War I'd already be in it would almost be like we can't review it because I'm going to be so entire discography <laughs> yeah I'm going to be so I'm going to be so gigantically into it off the bat then what's the point we just know i'm gonna love it because it's got a war like um but this this is just about a subject matter that i know very little about but performed beautifully written spellbindingly just absolutely delicious record this is to this, listen this, to it's the thing i want to i want to talk about and i want to say something actually you're gonna laugh at me if i say this off, off, off air but you really like Svalbard. You really like this version, uh, this off off album of Svalbard. Yeah. Will you try Oceans of Slumber again? No. <laughs> because Dude. It's in the same neighbourhood as no, this. No, it's like six minutes longer. It's track, man. Dude, I ain't got time for it. I ain't got we'll time for it. We'll break it down as a two-minute segment. <laughs> yeah. I listen to a song every song day. While you run. Do you know what? Like when we reviewed Ocean of Slumber, I said to you, I was like, "Dude, this just isn't for me, man." I I I ain't into this. Like I knew you'd love it. I'm still kind of annoyed that you gave it album of the year a bit. Um, was album of the year? Yeah, it was for me. Um, I um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I um, f- like I listen, I listened to that Ocean of Slumber album, and I knew it was musically impressive, but it just took ages. It just took that album. Just took ages, man. Like I really struggle with prog sometimes, and I think is that because of my poor attention span, or is it just because it just doesn't do much for me, or is it prog's fault? Do you know that? Do you know that? Uh, do you know that meme of principal? Yeah, yeah. That meme of principal skin out. It's like no, it's the kids that are wrong. Like no, prog is wrong. It's me. That's all right. What's What's the longest film you like? Do you like a long film? Um. Anything that's like over two hours and twenty minutes, I'm like, come on. Like, Avengers Endgame, I loved. Absolutely got me. But Justice League at four hours, I watched it in two two hour sittings. 
I was like, I'm not watching a film for four hours. Um, did you watch The Irishman? I did watch The Irishman. Um, yeah, that film could have been 40 minutes shorter, I'm, I'm really certain. Um, dude, all right, you're going to want to climb into the into your like camera and come out my end and beat me up. But dude, Godfather 2, man, dude. That no, film, it's a that, classic. It's a that classic films, film. that film's too long, dude. What would you? All right, in all right. What would you cut out? Well, I watched it once, so let me go. <laughs> I watched it once, so I'd have to go back and remind myself. But I remember thinking, this is a long time. That this is a long time, <laughs> like this whole life, mate. This, yeah, no, but this is a long time of Al Pacino constantly looking like he's he's thinking of something. I've been, you know, I've been doing this. I've been watching this for a long time now, and I know The Godfather is one of the great films of our time, especially one and two. Um, but I don't know, man. Like it's weird because, look, dude, I just finished Far Cry Four, right? Um, and that took me like forty-five hours. No problem. No problem. I'll chuck two or three. I'll chuck two or three hour sittings into Far Cry Four for over the space of a month or two months. No problem. But you ask me to sit with like a record that's like an hour and ten minutes, unless it's like periphery style prog that like it just does all the things for me, or it's like Mastodon because I just as I've mentioned a few weeks, ago, I just love Mastodon now. Man, I'm out. Or like a really long film that's not like Avengers, dude. You need you need that instant gratification, don't you? That's what it is. So, like, in every 30 seconds of the periphery song, something cool that you can latch onto. Yeah. Like a change of riff. And in games, even though it's long, you're constantly doing things yourself. Yeah. And you're discovering new things. But yeah. Prog and films, you have to literally sit there and wait for stuff to develop. And you're like, bro, I haven't got 17 minutes to wait to the end of this conversation. Well, in films, I'm less so than I am, like, with Prog. Because, dude, I love the Terminator films, right? And, like... Jimmy, we were, we were watching Terminator One, and you said to me, "He's like, when's he get good?" I was like, "It's good now." Halfway through Terminator Two was the answer that I was looking for. But I was like, "Dude, it's good now. It's good. Look, as a robot." Is it? Yeah. Um, my God, we've gone so far off track. It's amazing. Um, yeah, Nocturne great. Uh, Serena Cherry's amazing. She's one of the great musicians of our current generation. I am absolutely certain. Um, I, I wish hope I could... she listens to this podcast and still decides to talk to us. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand if she chooses not to. Um, I, I, I just think she's incredible. I would love to find like a, an actual band listing uh, for Nocturne because I'd love to give, uh, love to give the drummer credit. Um, and if there is anyone else that's written the guitar lines with Serena, they absolutely deserve credit as well. Um, but yeah, um, Wretched Abyss is an album that I understand none of the context, but I'm just absolutely fascinated by its completely beautiful sound. Um, and that's going to bring it to an end for episode 69 of the Noise Podcast. Or, or is it? <laughs> because uh, my and Sam's interview with Joe Principe uh, is going to come up right. <laughs> is going to come. <laughs> is going to come up right now. Uh, we are going to be back next Monday reviewing Nowhere Generation, which is Rise Against Ninth album. So this or is good. Are we? <laughs> or are we? Yeah, that could have been a complete red herring. Um, no, we are going to be back next Monday. Uh, Nowhere Generation, Rise Against means I'm going to be reviewing it. Here is our interview with Joe Principe. Uh, if you're still listening, my God, why? Because we've just talked absolute nonsense for the last like five or six minutes. Um, thank you very much. The best way to support us is by subscribing or following us, depending on whichever service you are using. Uh, we're going to be back next Tuesday, next Monday with a review of Nowhere Generation by Rise Against. This is me and Sam meet Joe Principe. Thank you for listening. We love you.
Bye. So now me and Sam are joined by Joe Principe, a bassist in Rise Against. Dude, I cannot thank you enough for your time. What an honour this is. Thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, Sam, I believe you wanted to uh, to start off, so I will let you uh, go first because Joe is uh, is a busy man, so we'll get going right away. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, once again, thanks again for, for joining us. Thank you for your patience as well a little bit earlier. Um, I wanted to start initially with some of the things that we've, we've information we've got about Rise Against that we know about them over the history of their career, really. Uh, this, this latest album, I wanted to talk a little bit about you being sort of an um, American band, obviously. You've pointed your finger at big businesses and politics. It's the central figures of the destruction of the American dream as part of this ideal for this new record. Um, with everything that's happened in the last few months, and I'm starting with a big heavy hitting question. Sorry about that. Um, I was just starting with your favourite colour or something. But um, do you see like optimism for the future? Like, you know, that we've had a few months of like, you know, the Black Lives Matter protests, the George Floyd decision, uh, Donald Trump no longer being in office. The frustration that you seem to have engaged about the American system on your album. Do you actually see a bit of optimism moving forward? Is it you, you, you are a happier man looking forward to the future in 2020 in America? Yeah, I mean, I think I think with anything, you 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 might have to tear something down in order to rebuild it, and you know it, it's it's tough because all I see is what what will the world look like when my children are twenty twenty five years old, and I think if anything, with President Biden in office, it, he's not going to fix everything immediately. That's that's just not realistic. But I do think that we're he has compassion and that's huge. He's thinking about, you know, the world and not just himself, you know, and I, I think he's got a lot of hurdles to overcome, but I do think that we're on the right path. I think it's, it's a refreshing to have a president who's thinking about global warming. You know, he just pulled a permit for uh, you know, building out of a pipeline. He's thinking about the oceans and what that means if you ruin you know, the ecosystem of the ocean, how that affects everything else. You know, it's it, where like Trump, you know, he was very self-centered. All he cared about was, was his 1% one, 1 you know, buddies and himself. Um, again, no one's gonna be perfect, but this is definitely a step in the right direction. Um, the fact that he rolled out uh, with the, the vaccination rollout, it definitely, got expedited and, and somewhat organized, you know, that, that was pretty impressive. We went from pretty much nothing, no organization to a pretty streamlined process. Um, you know, even getting aid to, to the citizens, the American citizens uh, that needed help, you know, help with the rent, uh, rent forgiveness. Um, you know, it's nice to see that that's on his radar. Uh, we're just not used to, to seeing that. Um, and in the meantime, it's like you have all these positive things, in, at least in my view, all these positive things happening for a step to move forward. And then Trump is still trying to recount votes in Arizona. And he's still, it's like, you know, like what a fucking baby. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, just, just move on. Like, yeah. um, but, you know, He'll go away eventually, and then we could really move forward. But it is nice to see like some positive change. You know, you know, everyone's going to critique anyone in office. That's just how it goes. But uh, I kind of see through all that, all that noise. You know, no pun intended. <laughs> and uh, and and look to a brighter future. You know, even my children notice it. They they feel 
a little bit more at ease. You know, they'll, they'll feel like they'll have a, their, their friends back and, and to be able to hang out, you know, in social situations, things like that. So it, it is nice. And, and it's like, you know, I can't wait to get back on the road and, you know, President Biden with his expediency is going to help that along, you know, so it's nice. You know, a majority of the bands that we've spoken to over the years generally say that in terms of like the writing process, there's very little planning that goes ahead. They kind of get together in a room, they write what they think's cool, and then the record comes out. But with the narrative of Nowhere Generation being what it is, and you being inspired by your children, which you mentioned there, and being inspired by the conversations you were having with your fan base, would you say that you went into the writing process of Nowhere Generation with a clear idea of exactly what you wanted to execute? Um, yeah, and I do think I'll still stand by the the no plan plan, like where we start writing, and if I bring in a song, you know, Tim, our singer, he writes all the lyrics, and he'll get he'll get an idea of what the lyrical mood should be of a song, you know, that that I bring in, or if he's writing something, he'll he'll just you know something will just pop up and and grab him, but. I think you're going to know generation is written, you know, it's kind of like a thematic in a thematic fashion, almost by like, it wasn't conscious, at least from my perspective, it, it was, we write from a personal perspective and now we're all parents. And so we're going to write from that kind of, you know, that kind of chair, you know, that, that seat. So, um, whereas 15 years ago we were writing from, you know, like, going up you know touring around the world and seeing how fucked up things are you know so it's a, definitely a different kind of situation in our personal lives so that it, yeah it definitely you know affects the the lyrical writing and that's why you it, it seems you know it, it is a theme and it, it does it's not like every song is about the same thing but you do have this like all these songs wrapped up in a nice package where it, it's kind of like it kind of represents that stamp in time, you know, that, that we, when we were writing the record. Um, and it just so happened, like, a lot of the songs apply to the post-pandemic world, even though yeah. it was pre-pandemic, you know, it's mm, crazy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I wanted to ask you about um, your work with creative director, uh, I hope I'm presenting this right, Brian Rotinger, is that the correct pronunciation? Yeah, um, he's worked with contemporary artists Jay-Z, Florence and the Machine. Now, that feels like a world apart from Rise Against. What was that? What was that process like? Was this experience massively different to experiencing with other creative directors? What What was that? What was that relationship like? What What's that involve exactly? So it was kind of crazy because Brian comes from a crusty punk upbringing. Like he literally he was wow. rooted in the hardcore scene. He, he grew up listening to bands like Crass and you know, tragedy, like, you know, just kind of like hardcore bands or, or crusty punk bands. He just kind of, as he furthered his career, he just got opportunities to work with larger artists and got real success with it. So he's definitely known for that, but his roots are our roots, the same bands, you know, like, so it was working with him was like working with like a buddy, you know, like that we knew growing yeah. up, like, um, so, and he's definitely like, He's friends with a lot of our friends from, you know, the early 90s. You know, there was like a, a venue in Orange County called the Pickle Patch that was totally DIY where a lot of hardcore bands played. So he was definitely part of that scene. Even like Steve Aoki, the DJ, he was part of that scene. 
So it's definitely like a small world, but uh, it was very comfortable to work with Brian. I think calling Rise Against a purely political band is short-sighted and a little bit derivative. Um, but if we just focus again on the political themes uh, that you've pursued in your career for just a moment... Um, you know, you wrote Siren Song for Counterculture in like 2004, or at least that's when it was released. Yeah. Do you do you see the same anger in your younger fans now that you felt personally when you were putting that album together? Because I do think those parallels between Nowhere Generation and Siren Song for Counterculture, I think they're actually quite interesting when you listen to one album after the other. Yeah, you know, that's actually a really good point that no, no one's ever asked us that. Yeah, we're definitely in our fans shoes back then we, we were it definitely it's you, know, you had george bush george w bush in office um and it was scary it was like what this guy's gonna get get us killed in like the next world war three um he didn't know what he was doing it, and then it's like it's funny because trump came in and it's like well george w bush was definitely the lesser of the two evils but um clearly like like he, bush was definitely not um qualified to be president you know so that was really scary and yeah that was before i started having children so i definitely looked at it differently i i wasn't as i guess i wasn't as for for an ignorant answer i wasn't as nervous as i was when trump was in office because i you know with my children it's like, well, wait, there's way more at stake for me personally. But back then it was like, no, this is fucked. He's going to get us killed, but we're going to carry on and tour, you know? Like, so it's like, it, that's kind of what was that, like my mindset. Um, but I just remember thinking like, don't be apathetic, you know, like even back then it's like, okay, we just signed to a major label. Our major label debut was that record, yeah, Siren Song. Yeah. So it's like, use that platform for some good, you know, like make a statement, don't take the big payday, you know, cause we signed to a major label. And that was the big, that was a big thing for us. We took less money than our, our peers that were signed to major labels just to get creative control. You know, we wanted to maintain the identity of the band. That was the most important, not to make like a quick buck, you know? Wow, yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it really worked for us and everyone at the label respected us um i do i do think though i mean full disclosure i think that bar for the label was set they were they had no expectations for us to succeed i think they expected a tax write-off for our record to flop and, and wow on. okay and wow. swing life away yeah it was kind of crazy like swing life away blew up and they're like oh shit we better pay attention to this band yeah. <laughs> um, so we were like we were maybe a little bit of a thorn in their side you know um but it, it worked out, you know, I'm glad in hindsight, I'm glad we were forward thinking and not looking for the, the big payday. Absolutely. That's something to be respected. And, and speaking of that, on my sort of punk rock attitude around music, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the genre as a whole. So, um, I, wanna, I don't know if you saw this, but Glenn Danziger, the Misfits, gave a quote last week or the week before um, where it says that um, you could release a Misfit album in 2021 because it's too PC now and the world culture would get in the way of it. Um, do you feel it's more difficult to be a punk band now in 2021 with this ideology that Danzig is referring to, or do you do you feel differently? Do you think it's easier? You know, social media helped. You know, the punk movement and connections and underground artists and all that sort of stuff. What's your perspective? Because you've literally, like, you know, from the late 90s, last 20 years, you've got this perspective of how the genres moved. Do you feel it's well, much easier or difficult comparison? 
I just think you have to adapt, you know, no matter what age you are. Um, it's tough because a band like the Misfits, they have a legacy, right, to, to re that remains intact. And it is, is going to be a little bit harder for a band like that. Or um, I remember the band Fear, right, the Los Angeles punk band. They were going to re-record their first record because they didn't actually own the rights to their first record. And they may have actually done that. And I remember leaving the singer was concerned about because the original lyrics were not definitely not PC. They were, you know, they were pretty, pretty early 80s. And he was conflicted. Like, do I keep the lyrics? Do I change it? And I think he ended up changing some of the lyrics. Um, but I think that's a process of growing as a, as society and as a human and realizing like the old way wasn't the best way. So you do have to adapt. And I, I think people are open to it. And then some people aren't open to it. And you, you have, you just have to be accepting and have an open mind and respect what the world is now and, and, and why things were, were, are fucked up to say in 2021 than they were in like 82. I mean, back then it was like, they were just ignorant to a, a global, view you know um so and i think you with with you know the kind of like i don't want to say doing away with like homophobia but you know back then it was like homophobia was rampant you know people were afraid to come out of the closet they were afraid of getting verbally abused physically abused you know from coming out and now it's like it's so much more accepted which is amazing but I just think the older generation needs to adapt. And I see it even in my family with like, you know, like my mom or my mom's amazing and open-minded, but sometimes she'll say something that is, you know, it's for her generation. And I was like, all right, like maybe read, read the more, more of the news, <laughs> like maybe expand your mind <laughs> a little bit. Um, but it's, it is difficult, but, but I think you could do a misfits record. You would just have to adapt. Um, you know, to the to the times now. Like a perfect example is the band The Descendants. They're still writing relevant music. You know, um, in 2021, um, and they've adapted and they've shown they've shown that it, it they can you know it can be you can maintain your legacy and move forward all at the same time. Because of the uh, slight delay we had beginning, I just want to make sure that we're good for time. Are, are we are we okay here? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Um, I, I saw an interview with Tim uh, a while ago. Uh, he was talking about during the recording of Wolves, he was driving past the same Donald Trump billboard every day on his way into the studio, which kind of like really drove his mindset for that album. Um, in the case of Nowhere Generation, where now, kind of more so than ever, all you have to do is pick up your phone and you'll see an element of social uh, societal injustice. Was it almost like impossible for you to escape your motivation behind the album's narrative? Every time you pick up your phone, there's something else driving your anger and frustration forward. Yeah, I mean, but the music is the release. The music is all is all I have as as a way to to. Well, it's not verbalized because it's through music, but vocalized through the lyrics and the music, it, it, it's what keeps my sanity. So yeah, there's going to be driving factors that we encounter every day, but the music is the safe haven. And, and that's why it's so important. That's why coming out of this pandemic, like we want to 
tour as much as we can and hit everywhere as possible because the I think the world needs that release and it, it's when you're in a venue in a concert it's you're with like-minded people you can let go I mean it really is a way to clear your head um, but Tim is right because I passed the same billboard on recording <laughs> wolves and that that recording wolves is difficult because we were doing it in, in Nashville Tennessee which is super right wing yeah and I mean, literally, we were we were in farm country, and every farm had a Trump sign in their lawn, and it, oh, it was like I was like, oh shit, like well, like this is very unnerving, you know, coming from liberal Chicago. <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it was interesting. And then you know, I would I would encounter uh, um, just people that were transplants, people that were moving from. I met a few people that moved from Kansas City that were African American. And she's like, I have never experienced um, this racial kind of tension more so than I have the last year. And she's like, I don't know if I feel safe living here anymore, you know, with, with Trump. And because and, it's like, people are like, oh, racism, you know, he made it okay. But it's like, well, no, the people that are showing their racist true colors, it's like, well, they were probably like that all along and they mm-hmm. just feel now it's okay to speak, you know, to let their yeah. true colors shine which fucking sucks you know yeah. so it's like how do you undo that it's like hopefully they can learn through i don't want to say example but but just learn i know a, there's a friend of mine who grew up as a nazi skinhead in chicago when when we were growing up he was to be feared like going wow. to punk shows his name's christian picciolini and he reformed and now he speaks to schools about you know racial issues and why he reformed and i think we need more people like that who've experienced Mm. it who got manipulated into that white power movement and come out of it like we like people need to learn from those people for sure yeah yeah absolutely like education is like the best way moving forward is something i genuinely believe in 100 percent. education yeah. over violence is something i like really like hardenly believe in uh, so that that's awesome i love that yeah it's Great. a real life of real life american history x plot narrative it is. Going on that, so that's insane where that's turned around um i wanted to speak to you where you talked about the music being the release i want to sort of follow on from that in terms of the rise against uh, sound because there's a there's, there's there's a well-established thumping beating heart through rise against music that has been like a blueprint almost consistency through your albums you know when when you sit down and write these songs you is it it's hard to talk about how natural that writing process is does it just come to you these anthemic sort of um, driving punk songs do you feel almost like an obligation to write songs in that sort of way or is that just naturally how the music comes about how organic is that process it, it, it's totally natural totally organic literally like I have these guitars behind me when I pick mm. up any one of these a bass or a guitar like that's what I'll play by nature like I'll I like driving riffs I was moved greatly by bands like the dead kennedys and minor threat and bad religion i was i was moved by these fast aggressive chord progressions with with an uplifting message and and that feeling just never went away so when i started writing my own songs i just i just incorporated that that's just how i knew how to write you know it's like um don't overcomplicate music let the vocal you know, be the, the fourth at the forefront, but have something interesting behind it, you know, and, and that, 
that goes along with a driving drum beat. I would say like bands like Motorhead and um, and you know Minor Threat, but even bands like you know like older British bands like like I, I hate to say it, but even Sex Pistols, the drum beats on all those songs are so the dumb specific. Yeah, but they're like it. It really matters like how a song is heard. Like the drum the drum beats for Motorhead songs are so driving. Even Iron Maiden. It's like, so without certain like kick patterns, not to get like nerdy about music, you know, but it oh, really fine, means, fine. yeah. Oh no, but it means a lot. Like mm-hmm. if you, if you take out a, a, a kick drum pattern, you know, like if you remove even one beat from a pattern, it makes, it can make or, or break a song. Like it can make the song feel like less urgent as yeah, opposed absolutely. to some, you know, like, so all these elements are just something I picked up on growing up and incorporated it into my songwriting because um, that's what moved me, you know, personally. I kind of think it's it's really cool looking at Nowhere Generation, like in the sense of I'm 28 years old and I've never felt a stronger connection to a Rise Against message than the one that is on Nowhere Generation. Um, like I know we spoke about Siren Song for Counterculture before, but I was like 11 when that album came out. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know what it was about, really. Um and I'm really confident that anyone between the ages of 20 and 35 will listen to this album and like really, really understand the concept you're getting across. I mean, you're not going to know this until the album is in the fans' hands. But as we speak, do you feel like this is the most accurately you've captured the current mood of your fan base for a while or maybe even ever? Um, that's a great question. I, you know what? I, I guess thinking about it, yeah, I, I really do. I mean, it's all about the youth and the future, and I, I, I do feel that this the, this record is for the youth for sure. Um, so yeah, I, I do feel like we've accomplished that for, for sure. Um, one final one for myself. Um, there's a four there's a four year gap between Wolves and Nowhere Generation, which is the longest gap of your career between two albums. Um, which obviously is pandemic affected. I imagine that's why one of the reasons you must have been itching to sort of get this stuff out. Um, how much do you think did the pandemic and the social distancing and all the events of the last years and sort of contribute to not only that gap necessarily, but maybe the length of time that you've attributed to production, maybe the writing process. And then looking forward, given that it's four years since Wolves and we're now at 2021, what does the next four years look like for Rise Against with a two-parter? Um, I mean, typically... Typically, we've had two years of, of touring. This is like a general um, schedule of Rise Against. We, re- we uh, tour for two years. We take like four months off, and then we start writing a new record. Then we spend we spend a year writing and recording. So this, this record, we decided to take like two or three more extra months off to really just regroup. So there was a six-month or seven-month gap from the last tour until Tim and I got together together to write the record. And then, then we took four months to write and then we recorded it. So like that was supposed to be it. We were supposed to get back on touring and then the pandemic, everything happened after we were done recording. So we were like, oh crap. So we spent all this time, extra time, you know, like without thinking there was gonna be a pandemic. Um, so it really made the gap way longer than anticipated obviously um but i i don't think we would ever want to take that much time off i think we get too antsy 
Um, even now, like being home all year, like I'm still like I have enough material probably for the next two Rise Against Records. <laughs> um, and I think I think we'll pick up where we usually leave off. Like we'll record or I'm sorry, we'll tour for two years on a newer generation, give or take, take a little time off and then, you know, record, write and record again. Definitely don't intend on taking, you know, another four years in between records. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to close off my last question as well before we get into our quick fire round. Uh, I actually want to go back a little bit to something you were talking about um, around 15 minutes ago when you were talking about your major label debut that really could the kind of label just signed you because you were kind of like a new up-and-coming band that had a following and didn't actually expect much from you. Um, that happened a lot in the early 2000s because of hybrid theory, right? Like hybrid yep. theory comes out. And every major label's like, we need to sign a new metal band because hybrid theory is like the biggest thing in the world and we want to make lots of money. Um, do you think you were kind of at risk of having your career kind of manipulated and damaged there? And that was like waters that you had to tread really carefully because there's like literally like an A to Z list of bands that got taken advantage of during that hybrid theory explosion. Well, yeah, and, and that's that's why like we, we had it in our contract rise against maintains complete like creative control um because i think you're right i think if we would have taken a big payday and let the label steer the ship we would have imploded and we would probably wouldn't have been a band like to this day um so these records that you've gotten on the major label from siren song moving forward they sound the way they do whether they were on the major label or epitaph or hopeless records or you know any independent um, that's just who we are. Um, so, it, and it's important for bands to know that, like, don't let labels dictate what you should or shouldn't do creatively ever, because then you'll lose your identity yeah. and nothing good comes from that. So, um, you know, I'm, you know, it, it, I guess, I guess because we, when we got approached, we were not looking to sign to a major label. So we were like, we don't care if we're on a major label. So these are our demands. And if you agree to that, fine, we'll, we'll try it out. If not, then fuck off, you know? So, <laughs> so that, that's kind of what we did. So yeah, it, it, all these young bands starting, like don't let anyone dictate your career ever. Dude, this has been an insane, insane honor. Uh, I'm so, so glad we got the chance to do this. Yeah, uh, I and we have just hit our quick fire round time. Uh, so what this is, uh, I've got 22 choice questions for you here. Um, where <laughs> we'll see how fast you can do this in. Uh, the quickest time we've had so far is one minute and 30 seconds. So no pressure there, dude. But you're working against quite a short clock, Joe. Uh, when you're ready, I'm going to get going. All right, yeah, go ahead. Let's go. Uh, Batman or Superman? Batman. Iron Man or Thor? Thor. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Your favourite Rise Against song? Uh, the Numbers. You can only save one, Bruce Willis or Tom Cruise? Bruce Willis. <laughs> uh, jeans or shorts? Uh, jeans. Uh, Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. The best live show you've ever seen? Bad Brains. Best live show you've ever played? Um... Troubadour in, in Los Angeles. Uh, the hardest Rise Against song to write? Um, the song The Black Market. Would you rather be too hot or too cold? Uh, too cold. You can only save one, Jennifer Aniston or Scarlett Johansson? Uh, Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> uh, your favourite movie? Um, uh, shit, super bad. I <laughs> uh, love that. Uh, your favourite TV show? 
Dexter. <laughs> uh, your favorite album of all time? Um, probably Bad Brain, self-titled. Uh, your favorite non-musical pastime? Um, making coffee, home barista. <laughs> uh, Transformers films, good or bad? Um, good. Uh, the best band member to be around in the studio? Um, probably our guitar player, Zach. Uh, your favorite fast food restaurant or takeaway? Um, Chipotle in, in the States. Awesome. <laughs> and the best advice you would ever give someone? Um, speak your mind. I love it. Dude, uh, you're going to be up there, you know. We just, I think we're like 144. Uh, so, dude, you're <laughs> going to be right up there, man. That was impressive. Um, Joe, this was, as I mentioned, an insane, insane yeah. honour for us. Uh, Nowhere Generation is really, really great. And, uh, like, like one of the... Like the record that I connect with the most out of all the Rise Against ones uh, that I've heard. So uh, you should be really proud of that. And I can't wait for everyone to be able to to get their hands on it on June the 4th. Uh, this was an insane pleasure. And thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. This is awesome. Thanks Take so care, Joe. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye.